Hi, Chris Felton here. Thanks for tuning in to my podcast. I'm so excited about my new show, Cultural Catalyst, where we help you to learn how to live fully alive, co-labor with God, and change the world. You can watch it weekly on my YouTube channel or listen to it here. Hope you enjoy it. Hi, this is Chris Valentin. Welcome to Cultural Catalyst, where we help you to learn how to live fully alive, co-labor with God, and change the world. And today, I have a really good friend, Seth Dahl, who is our children's pastor for many, many years at Bethel Church. Now he's around, now he lives in Austin, Texas, and he's still, you know, working with children, working with parents and moms and dads. And welcome to the show, Seth. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Yeah, thanks for having me. Good to see you and good to be here. Yeah, you know, I got to read your your uh, your bio this morning as I was kind of preparing, and you know, I've known you for a long time, but I didn't even, I didn't know uh, you know anything about your growing up years. And so, why don't you just share a little bit about that? Because that's you and I have like very similar upbringings, which I I was unaware of. Yeah, yeah. I, I most of my young childhood till I was nine, I had a single mom because my parents got divorced uh, just before I was one. And so, you know, all those formative years, I had a single mom, just me and her doing, doing it. And she, she got a job at my school so she could work there. So she'd take me to school and then take me home afterwards and stuff like that. But it was us for a while. And that, yeah. So I, I was I was just me and her till nine. She got remarried and it wasn't, you know, I had spent my whole childhood praying that my dad would come home yeah, and yeah. wanting my dad. And, you know, when he would visit, he visited a couple of times a year. So when he would visit, like I would just cry when he left and I'd go to bed and just pray, like, God, I want my dad back. I want my dad home. And then my mom gets remarried to somebody else. And so that that wasn't easy because. I only wanted my dad. I didn't want a stepdad. I didn't want anybody else. And so, you know, I, I had a rough time letting him be a father to me and letting him be in my life. You know, he was in my home, but I didn't really let him in my life for a long time. And so that, yeah, that's just how I grew up. And it, you know, I, I didn't know what to do with any of that pain, any of that disappointment, any of that stuff for a long time, which, yeah, that just went south real your, bad your, your your real dad was he uh so you saw him a couple times a year so he was c- kind of connected right he was stayed he stayed kind of connected in your life um and then your your stepdad i mean it would be interesting to know how he felt because he kind of married into this fatherless family and you know, what I'm hearing from you and from, you know, so many others having gone through the same thing. My father drowned when I was three. So, you know, my first stepfather entered my life when I was five. And I, you know, I still was, I still was longing for my dad, you know, so, and then, and my stepfather wasn't a great guy. So that, that didn't make it any easier. Did you finally connect with your stepfather? Yeah, it's been off and on. I mean, we're, we're good now. We're, we have a decent relationship, but it's, it took a long time. Like I, it was usually birthdays or Christmas, you know, when I would get gifts and then I'd say, wow, you actually 
loved me. I think before then, I didn't think he loved me. I think he um, just tolerated me. Mm-hmm. It was, yeah, I just wrestled with that for yeah. so long. And then, so I, it took me a long time and it would be very off and on, very hit or miss. Like one day I'd be like, man, I'm so glad he's in my life. And the next day I'd just be mad it wasn't my dad, you know? Yeah. And how does that, is your, is your biological dad still in your life right now? Yeah, he is. He lives in Nevada. So we talk on the phone every week. You know, we have a similar relationship. We talk on the phone every week. It's good. He's in the kid's life. Um, That's so good. We have a good relationship. We probably have a better relationship now than we've ever had before. That's so good. There's so many families that are, you know, blended families nowadays, right? It's so common, blended families. Like I, you know, I just said, I grew up in a blended family. My son went through a divorce and, you know, ended up in a, a blended family. Um, that's that's tough on, well, it's probably tough on everybody really, right? But it's really tough on the kids because they're really, they are the real victims of, of those situations. Or, you know, even if it's a death in a family kind of a thing, a widow or widower, still still tough, still really tough. Are you, do you work with parents and kids of blended families a lot and take what you, your own your own challenges, your own struggles? Because out of out of what you went through, you, you grow compassion, right? And, and you you kind of yeah. like maybe understand in a way no one else could understand what that's like. Share about that a little bit about blended families and what what do you think about that? Yeah, I work with some blended families. I work with some single parents, and then I work with families, you know, that are husband and wife still together. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. You know, a lot of times with the single parents, the mom is asking questions like, Hey, my kids go to their dad's house and they have a completely different culture. And sometimes it's like, well, I'm just trying to get back at mom or mom's just trying to get back at dad. And so there, you know, there's a lot of like forgiveness that needs to take place. Otherwise there's this, we create cultures trying to just get revenge. And, you know, I treat my kids this way. So it pays you back. And then you treat them that way to kind of get, so I've, I see a lot of that, but I think in my context, you know, having grown up with a single mom and trying to navigate all that, yeah. I have a huge heart for single moms and single dads where I'm like, wow, I can give you your kid's perspective and I can give you, you know, I can help you see what your kids are seeing. I can encourage you. You know, I think single parents are the, some of the greatest heroes on earth because I think my mom is my hero. Like, wow, mom, you... I know what I put you through and you, you came out of this thing and you're, you're alive and you're, you're kicking. And, and I, you know, so I can champion them. I think that's, that's a lot of what I end up doing with single parents, especially in blended families is like trying to champion them and let them know, like, we're for you. People are for you. Uh, I'm for you. Your kids are for you. Your kid, like God is for you. I think that's, that's a huge deal to go, Hey, you're not, you're not all on your own here. He's very, he's very committed to you. And I think sometimes that's, that's a huge part of the perspective that a single mom or a blended family needs where they're trying to navigate the different kids and sibling, figuring out the sibling stuff. It's, it's, it's not easy, but I think having it, someone champion you and encourage you and love you and, and tell you you're a hero 
just helps a ton. I've had so many single parents like just weep. Like I did a workshop for single parents. I had single parents reaching out to me. So I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do a single parent workshop just for single parents. Moms and dads were on there, but I just like told them my perspective. You know, I told stories. Like I remember, I don't, you know, this part of my story too. Like growing up in a single home, I had tons, single parent home. I had tons of pain. I went on drugs. Like I'm on Coke, meth, acid, mushrooms, ecstasy, all of it. But I would, there was two times that I remember specifically people were smoking crack in my house. And they're trying to pass me the crack pipe and I'm about to smoke crack. And I hear a voice go, don't do that. And I would be like, I like literally like, no, I can't do this. And I would flash and I watch, I see my mom praying for me. I'm like, my mom is praying for me and God won't let me smoke crack because my mom is praying for me. I did a lot of crazy stuff, but it was like, he set a boundary and it was like, I could tell, I knew I'm all high on Coke and meth. And I, I'd been snorting ecstasy pills and I'd hear these voices and I knew it was my mom praying for me that wow. God was intervening in my life. Wow. So I'm like, so I did this whole workshop for single parents. I'm telling them all these stories wow. where I watched God come through over and over. And I knew it's like, I, I almost felt tormented sometimes by my mom. I'm like, mom, <laughs> I want to get in more trouble than I'm getting in and your prayers your prayer life won't let me like you. There's a fence that I can't cross here. And I know it's my mom praying. And so I did this whole workshop. I've had so many parents like five minutes in, they're just weeping going, Oh my gosh, thank you. I just needed to know. I just needed to know like some truth that, that, you know, my prayers, God's actually for me. My prayers are actually powerful. Like God's listening. God's, God's helping me. And I, I just have a huge heart for it. I'm like, it's my story. I think all of us have that, you know, our story becomes the, the very people that we have a massive heart for to help. And I love it. Uh, you know, I can remember. So my mom remarried when I was five, divorced again when I was 13. And then, you know, for, uh, and then stayed single around two, two and a half years, three years. And I remember at, by that time I was the man of the house, the oldest, the man of the house, and then I remember when my second stepfather came in, into our lives, how I felt that that was taken from me. Like I, you know, I was, my mom and I talked about the kids and what we're going to do and, you know, and then all of a sudden somebody came and took my place from my, from my perspective. They, they became the man of the house. And I, I remember the, those dynamics are hard to understand if people haven't been through that that, uh, you know, there's, there's that I resent you, not just because you married my mom or took my dad's place, but because you're taking my place in the house. You're, you're, you're the, the man. And uh, also uh, what you said really triggered uh, in me for, for blended families. I, I just like to make a comment for people because this kind of feels like where we're heading in this conversation. You know, when... When your kids go to their, you know, to your ex-spouse's house, they need to have permission to have a relationship with whoever that ex-spouse is, is in relationship with, remarried, whatever. Otherwise, they feel like they need to hate that person to defend you. And that creates another dynamic. And so, you know, I think that's so important that you actually verbalize, hey, when you go to your dad's house, I know your dad remarried 
I want you to know that his wife, you you feel free to have a relationship with her. And vice versa, you know, dad back to say, hey, I know your mom's in a, in a relationship or she's remarried. Uh, there's just something that happens when I know that I don't have to hate that person to love my mom. Or I don't have to hate that person to love my dad. And, and you know, and as you, you pointed out so powerfully, that the kids become really the victim. And they, they you know, in, in your case, you know, you took, you, you know, medicated or hid from the pain by, by, you know, staying, getting on drugs. But so many kids just, they just, you know, they just are reduced to a pile of ashes through their parents' battle, which they didn't ask for and they don't deserve, you know. And so I, I think that's really important that we share those kind of things. Um, there's a massive fatherless issue right now, Seth. Is you know you you know this. You and I were in the trenches right now. Fifty-one percent of all children in America are born out of wedlock. Fifty-one percent. That's up from five percent just you know forty years ago. So we're on this trend, yeah. and and now you know we're being told you can have two mommies and or two daddies, you don't need a mom and a dad. And just speak to that whole issue of the nucleus of the family is quickly under siege and feels like the foundations of our our country, not just ours, but the world is beginning to disintegrate under this pressure to be politically correct at the risk of investing uh, at the risk of destroying our children's future in my mind. Could you speak to that? And, and how are you, how are you dealing with that? Yeah. I mean, you know, with people that I think first and foremost, it's like, I've got to, I've got to make sure I'm here with my kids. You know, I, you know, I think you got the story of Nehemiah, they rebuild the wall and everything's like they rebuilt it outside their, their homes like they rebuilt yes. the wall around to protect to protect their city to protect their home to protect their family but i think you know as they're doing that they're building together they're ready to fight they're ready to protect but they're not just rebuilding the protection around their home i think they're rebuilding what what home is supposed to look like and what home is supposed to be like and so i think while we're fighting or while we're building our own homes we're also, I think one thing we need to understand is if I do this really, really well, hopefully the world looks at my kids and goes, why are, why are you a, more mentally stable? Well, oh, it's a mom and a dad, and it's a dad that's present. Yeah. I have a father, not just, so I think, you know, in some sense, that's a huge part is like, I have to make sure, you know, it's like you guys and you and Bill and Danny have said forever. It's like, well, we can't, we we have to take care of our families, not the ministry first. Like, and yeah. that's, that's a huge deal. Like I, if I'm going to speak about family, I should, I should make sure I'm a really good dad and a husband and I'm home and I'm present. I think that's first and foremost, but when it comes to people outside, you know, I've, I've been working with a whole bunch of people here. It's like, Oh, you've been hurt by fathers. I I've got to see that and go, all right, how do I navigate this? Cause potentially your definition of father of, of a father is different than mine. Potentially what your expectations are may be different than I can deliver. So I've got to come in with that awareness. I've got to ask questions, but I think I, when I look at the big picture and go, okay, 
we have a ton of kids growing up, not just kids, but adults right now that have no fathers. And like, how do we father them? I, I recently have stumbled into something from my children's school. It's called the Socratic method where Socrates used to ask questions. When people would think something was true, all he would do was ask questions to figure out whether or not they really believed it and to help them find the truth. And they end up discovering on their own, where, because you're asking questions, where, where what they believed isn't actually true and where it is. And so, but it's super empowering. And stuff. But I learned it from kids, the kids' school. And the more I look at that, and the more I look at how Jesus handled, especially the, the Pharisees, yeah. like, like I, you know, when I think of Pharisees, I think, okay, spirit of religion, orphans, and, and you have Jesus coming in, com- looking completely different. And he's the one going, if you've seen me, you've seen the father, right? So he's confronting everything they know about the father and he's revealing the father to everyone. And, and I watched Jesus and I'm like, man, this guy asked them so many questions. You know, so I look, I look at Jesus, I go, in a, in a religious spirit, I go, why did Jesus never just go up to someone, to a Pharisee and cast out their religious spirit? Like he cast out, you know, the guy with the legion of demons. He just, he just cast them out and they're dismissed, gone. But he goes to the religious leaders and he doesn't just go, you know what, religious spirit, get out. He doesn't, he doesn't cast out. What, but what's he do is he asks these questions over and over and over. And he, it's almost like he dismantles what they believe to help them discover that what they believe may not be true. And I think with people who aren't our own children, even with our own children, I think questions are a huge, huge resource and tool to us. Wow. You know, my, my, my son, I, I experimented with this one day. I was like, I'm just going to ask him questions this day. I'm not going to, I'm not going to make statements. And, and I have watched this play out with many other families, but my kid is like, dad, how do I, we were, we were putting together a recipe at home. And I'm like, son, let's do the recipes. Like, where's the recipe book? Like, how can you find that out? He's like, well, I know where it's at. I'm like, okay. So he goes and gets the book. He's like, dad, do we have flour? I said, how can, how can you know if we have, how can you find out if we have flour? He's like, dad, just tell me if we have flour. So this is a random story. But long story short, I asked him question after question after question. He was trying to get me to solve his problem for him, to tell him all the answers all the time. And I refused to do it. And there were two times this day where he got mentally stuck. He's really stuck. He's not doing well. And then he breaks through and he has these massive breakthroughs. And at the end of the day, our connection was so strong. He felt so empowered. He felt so like I was raising him up to figure out and solve his own problems for himself. And at the end of the day, I was like, me and him are so much more connected than we were. And it's because I didn't try to answer all his problems for him. And so to, to take that story and go, we have a whole generation of fatherless people and different expectations and different definitions. And I meet with this person over here. I'm like, wow, you have pain from pastors. So I have to be aware of that as a pastor, as a father, as a leader, you have a different definition. I need to be careful not to say, I want to father you because that's going to trigger you. And so coming into that scenario going, you know, and it's, I, th- I see it in society where it's like, wow, there's people are so broken by orphanness that 
if a real father shows up, they usually trigger and reject it. And I'm like, well, how do you how do you dismantle that trigger? And I think the Socratic method is is basically this. Sorry, I'm talking a lot about this, but this is great. helping me. We want you on. I love it. This is, the Socratic method is to ask questions about a person's belief without seeing the person as an enemy. So if a you know if a person goes, well, I, I hate the church. My pastor is da 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 da. I'm like, okay, can you tell me what happened? Right. And now they're now they're processing a little bit and go, wow, oh man, what do you think they were thinking at, at that time? And just asking questions to help them see a different perspective, right? To help them look at it a different way, not to tell them, well, your pastor didn't mean that. Well, your pastor didn't da-da-da-da-da. Well, you, do you don't understand what your pastor is going through? I think, I think the more we can ask questions about a belief system without seeing the person as an enemy, they'll pick up on that, they'll feel that we can actually dismantle some of the damaging beliefs that keeps them from allowing fathers into their lives. Like I know my problem was I didn't allow my stepdad into my life. And, and I, I think the more we can dismantle that, the more they'll go, wow, you really helped me there. Thank you. And that's where we just fathered them. We just helped them. We empowered them. We helped them solve a solution. We didn't attack what they believe. We dismantled what they believe by just asking questions and helping them come to these realizations. And they're like, I think that's a huge key. I think it's a key in our own families. Like I've seen so many to, to go back into families. I've seen so many parents that are like, you know, my son came to me and said, hey, I, I think I'm struggling with whatever, whatever lie it is. My friends, no one wants to be friends with me. Well, most parents go into tell the truth, just attack it with the truth. Like, well, that's not true. Your friends, they, they were over here yesterday playing and you guys were laughing. They love to hang out with you. They love to come over here and like, Oh, you're, you know, your kid is holding up a lie going, Hey mom, I think, I think, I think this is going on and they're holding it up and we start pounding it with the truth hammer, not realizing we may be, we may be pounding it deeper rather than ask questions question the lie and maybe we'll dislodge it. And so I think in, in the, I've, I've told a lot of moms this, especially I've said, you know, when you go into your prayer closet, you need to declare that truth over them in the prayer closet. But when you're with them relationally, you probably need to ask more questions and let them dis let them go. Actually, you know, this lie isn't really helpful. I think I'm going to put it out there. You know what? You're right. I can see that my friends do love me. I can see that my friends like to be with me because you asked me questions and I saw it on my own. You know, it's like Danny says, you can't solve a problem for a person. They don't know they have the problem. Yeah. Right. Until they know it's their problem. You can't solve it for them. The more you try to answer it for them, the more they reject it. I think that mentality, that mindset, and the practical use of asking questions without seeing people as an enemy is a huge key to how do we father people that don't know they want to be fathered and will reject us if they think we're doing it. Sorry, that was a lot. I just that's I think that what you said is profoundly powerful, incredibly simple, and also relevant to the people who are watching us. I was in. I went to Israel. I've only been to Israel once, but I was there ten days with Heather Johnston, who is, uh, you know, she's just a, she just loves Israel. Like she goes eight, ten, twelve times a year. Knows all the political leaders there, and and has a school there herself. And uh, so she led the tour, and I learned so much from her. And what you just shared 
is exactly how the rabbis, including Jesus, because Jesus was, I didn't really, I didn't actually didn't see this, but Jesus was actually a famous rabbi who spoke every Sabbath in, in the temple. Um, and before he ever had a, quote, public, you know, miracle ministry, he was already teaching in the temple on the Sabbath day. But her point, she, she, uh, she did a whole teaching when we were um, at the, I think it was at the Sea of Galilee, uh, and, and she, she taught us how Jesus taught. And 95%, the rabbis were taught to teach in questions. And they, they believed that if they could get you to question, not just uh, a wrong, but also a, you know truth, that that opened the door to actually a connect with God in which you would begin to connect with God on what the right answer for that question is. So she just took us through scripture after scripture. I remember sitting there at the Sea of Galilee. Well, she took us, uh, you know, uh, scripture after scripture where, you know, Jesus said, you know, uh, you, you know, who, who, who am I? Who do people say that I am? Well, who do you say that I am? And, you know, the Pharisees like, who gave you authority? Okay, let me ask you a question. Who was John the Baptist? Was he from God or from man? And, you know, these are like, and they, they called it, um, they called it being in the dust of the rabbi. The teaching of the rabbi was called being in the dust of the rabbi. In other words, you stayed so close, well, you're walking so close to the rabbi, you're in his dust. Yeah, it was really powerful. Um, we got about five minutes left. It's, uh, we're on the subject of single moms. What you said was incredibly powerful. Uh, envision that you're you're talking to a single mom right now who's not not being very successful with her teenage kids uh dad's not in the picture uh there's there's no man in the picture what what did you know just with that kind of you know that kind of uh scenario what what would you because there's just thousands of moms in that situation you what would your uh common advice be I think, I mean, obviously the first one is just pray the truth over your kids, you know, and, and, and have hope. You know, I've, I've worked with so many moms that like, they're like, dude, they say, Seth, my kids are like you, they're on drugs. And I said, listen, think about Moses's mom. She puts Moses' mom, puts him in the river and the enemy who's trying to kill him takes him and starts raising him. And he's now being trained by the enemy. Like, just pretend you're Moses' mom and you know what happens at the end of the story, that Moses actually single-handedly destroys the very kingdom that took him and trained him. He's the one that destroys it all. And it's like, so, so mom, go into the future and say, you know what? The enemy snagged my kid. You're trying to kill my kid. You snagged my kid. You're, you're trying to train my kid in your ways. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for that burning bush. I'm going to pray that that thing inside my son that knows this isn't right will rise up, will come up and that burning bush will show up. I'm like, I'm like, mom, pray for the burning bush and mom, don't lose hope. Remember your kid is probably like a Moses and they're going to dismantle whatever the enemy is doing in their life. He's just setting them up to dismantle him just like he did with Moses. And, you know, it's like you've said so long, like they thought they took Daniel. They thought they took him. No, he took them. And, and so, 
I think that's a huge deal is pray. I think another huge one is making sure we're giving attention to what we want to see more of. A lot of times we get stuck in, you can't do that. Stop doing that. Knock it off. Oh my gosh. You're just like your dad. I can't believe you're doing this again. We get stuck in, in all the, in, in men, in verbally and emotionally, because I think everything's kind of a reward in some sense, but you're, you're actually rewarding the behavior you don't want by acknowledging it all the time. Of course, we need to address issues. Of course, we need to, we need to set boundaries and stuff like that, but, but we can't get stuck in just that. We need to give attention to and reward the, the behaviors we do want, like, Hey son, thank you. Wow. You really, you went to bed without a big hassle, without complaining. Thank you so much. My gosh, that's maturity. You're really mature for your age. Wow, you're really, you're really kind tonight. Thank you for being so kind and helping me out. Wow, I can't do this without. I think we need to make sure we're rewarding what we want more of, not just accidentally. You know, it's like I've worked with a lot of kids. They're like, the only reason they misbehave is because the only time they get attention is when they misbehave. So they misbehave more to try to get it. Like, oh, you're accidentally rewarding the behavior you don't want by putting your attention there. So make sure you're putting your attention on things you do want. And don't don't underestimate the power of your prayer life and connection with God. That's that's probably what I'd say. What you just said about Moses is profound. I've never thought of it before. And it I think that what you just injected into anyone who's watching this who's in that situation or similar situation is so powerful that uh, you, you you injected hope you know you injected hope so I so I'm not just praying out of desperation now I'm praying out of vision and faith Seth thank you so much for being on I so appreciate you and I uh, love what you bring to the body of Christ and um, would you just pray? I'd love for you just to pray for families, if you would, before we close. Yeah. Father, I thank you that you are a father to the fatherless. That you, I've seen that in my life over and over. And I know that this is your heart. Like, before anything else, you're a father. And so I pray that every family, every single mom, every married family, every single dad, every dad that's separated from his kids or mom, every blended family, God, every family that's listening, watching, every kid, because we're all kids as well. I pray that your fathering spirit would rest on all of us, would be with all of us, that we would know that you are so for us. You're so with us that you are our ever-present help in time of need. God, that's my prayer, that we would access your help in time of need. You're so available. We thank you for that. I release peace over every home, love over every home, joy over every home. And God, I pray that your voice would be louder than every other voice in our homes, in our lives, in our hearts, especially us as parents. Let your fathering voice lead us as we lead our kids. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. Seth, thank you so much for being with us. And uh, we'll, we'll give a link to your ministry there uh, so that people can get in touch with you if they'd love to. And, uh, and uh, just wish you and pray for you uh, the best for you. May God answer all your prayers and uh, may all your dreams come true. God bless you and your family. 
Thanks so much for listening to my podcast. If you want to find out more, read my blog or listen to the previous podcast episodes. Go to chrisvelton.com. Have an awesome day.